You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The incredible change and ramp up that we've seen over that time we thought it was a good time to kind of revisit that and get a state of the, you know, what is the ransomware threat landscape look like now? That's Jen Miller Osborne. She's deputy director of threat intelligence with Palo Alto Network's Unit 42. The research we're discussing today is their latest ransomware threat report. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Before we dig into some of the details of the report here, I think it's worth you know, taking a little look back at the history. I mean, my recollection is that you know, ransomware, like a lot of things, started out small and and sort of uh, you know low dollar amounts, a lot like spam. You know, it was a it was it was a nuisance uh, for a lot of folks. But uh, first of all, is is that perception correct on the origin story of it, and and how has it developed since then? Mm-hmm. That's definitely uh, how it started. And it also started out typically targeting individuals. So the payout was significantly smaller and there wasn't a lot of attention paid to it, especially from you know a business sort of perspective. But then as will happen, um, criminals will look for bigger paydays. So they started recognizing, hey, if we go after businesses, we can get way more money. You know, then it's not one person, it's you know, hundreds of people, like potentially all of their customers. So then we started seeing a shift into going after businesses. And it's really just continued in that vein over the years with the attackers both becoming uh, better at their targeting, better at their development of ransomware, and also um, 
just continuing to advance the tactics they take to get paid. So one of the the new things we've seen going on, especially over the last year or so, is what we're calling uh, double extortion, where ransomware attackers have recognized that um, the traditional guidance was to have good backups. If you had good backups, then you'd be fine. And attackers have recognized that. So now they've some of the groups have started going into these networks before they actually execute the ransomware and looking for valuable information, you know, IP, anything related to like sales data, customer data, things that would be very, very damaging for the organization to lose. And then they're exfiltrating that information first and then encrypting all of the, the systems. So that way, when they go back to the organization, they can say, if the organization says, whatever, you know, we have good backups, you know, goodbye. Mm-hmm. They have the additional leverage of, well, that's fine that you can restore from there, but how valuable is this data to you? And a lot of the attackers that are doing that are yeah. also posting that information that this, this organization has been compromised to a website somewhere on the dark web. So then there's also that kind of public disclosure hey, you know, we have this organization and their data. We're going to release it if we aren't paid by X time. So just, yep, they continue finding new and inventive ways to make money. Well, one of the things that the report tracks here is the the increase in, in the amount of money that they're making and the amount of money they're demanding. What did you uncover there? They're going after, in many cases, larger organizations or organizations that can't afford the the downtime. One of the the worst things we've seen is the continued focus on healthcare sector attacks because, you know, when you're holding a hospital hostage, they have quite a bit of urgency to have their systems up and running. But they're also just going after both bigger organizations and more money because they know they can demand it. And you'll also see the amounts have gone up with the groups where they're doing the this double extortion kind of thing because they really have two different things they can monetize plus the perceived public pressure of, you know, losing all of that data if they don't pay by a certain time. And that data is for some of the groups they're just say they're going to publish publicly and that, you know, they're organizations that wouldn't be able to recover from that. You know, for, for many years, the, the popular wisdom was don't pay the ransom. You know, that, that's certainly what uh, the FBI's message was and, I, I suppose the notion was, you know, if we pay the ransom, then we're supporting this ecosystem and incentivizing them to, to, uh, to continue their their efforts here. Um, is that still the case? I mean, is it, it? I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is, does does the message of don't pay the ransom align with what's actually happening on the street? I don't think organizations ever want to pay the ransom, but you know, it's it's a, a use case or a business case per organization for, you know, what they can withstand or what they can take to be still be able to recover from. So while, you know, we're, no one's ever going to encourage paying the ransom because that does further encourage the attackers, you know, it can be a business decision where that's the only way they're going to be able to remain a business or how are they do that logic. And it's kind of hard not to, to feel at least some level of sympathy. Yeah, one of the things that you track here in the research is uh, the availability of these tools and, you know, how there are more more readily available ransomware as a service, you know, subscription-based models. Can can you share some of the details of, on that side of things? Sure. So that's where um, there's, it's called an affiliate model, and it's where the attackers who own 
the ransomware itself or kind of the base, they let others rent it out to then conduct their own attacks. You see this as well with a lot of other types of malware, like botnets and things like that. And it's just another way the attackers have figured out to make more money and in some cases make more money easily because they're setting up you know, the structure for it and the software and then these other people are paying them to do actual attacks. It's just it's another it's just another step in attackers figuring out every possible way they can to to monetize uh, ransomware attacks. You know, one of the the things that really struck me when I was looking through the research here, when you're highlighting this this rise of double extortion, was the activity from the Netwalker gang and how uh, how much more activity you saw from them than some of these other groups who are leaking information uh, online. And that was one of the things that they really uh, like to do. And I think that's it's worth noting that that also got them quite a bit of attention from law enforcement. Uh, so there was a, that international law enforcement effort to disrupt that particular ransomware family. Yeah. Well, uh, let's run through some of the other details here. I mean, when we're looking at the, the various sectors who've been hit uh, hardest by ransomware attacks, can, can you share with us, I mean, who's getting, who's getting hit worse? Um, unfortunately, healthcare has been hit quite heavily, which is one thing that we really don't um, like to see. But that's definitely been an area that's been a focus. What we've seen by far is uh, manufacturing quite a bit. Hmm. And then, you know, we're seeing kind of legal services, construction, high tech. It kind of runs a gamut from there. But if you look at this chart from a perspective of, potential amount of money that could be made by ransoming these various organizations. You can see a lot of the focus is on organizations that potentially have larger resources and maybe more difficulty in recovering if they uh, they lose their data. Yeah, I, on the defensive side of things, I mean, I, I suppose it's it's worth noting that uh, these exfiltrations, I mean, in some in some cases, they're grabbing, you know, multiple hundreds gigabytes of information. Um, and it strikes me as, as interesting that the organization's attention wasn't drawn to that, that, that you know, in terms of uh, shoring up your defenses, it seems like uh, look, being on the lookout for that is something people really should should focus on these days. Yes, for any for any number of reasons, large amounts of data leaving your network should probably be noted. Um, and also, <laughs> the, the the that the ransomware has continued to grow and spread at the rate it has just highlights that it really hasn't been taken seriously. Um, you know, it it it, it re- kind of remained this nuisance, like we were discussing earlier, where people really didn't recognize the threat that they were facing. And I think that's changing now. That's one of definitely one of the reasons we wanted to do an updated ransomware paper now to call the, you know, organization's attention to this, that this is a massive problem. They are making incredible amounts of money on it. And we really need to globally be more effective in our um, defense. Are those nuisance operators still out there? I mean, are there groups out there who are still going after individuals? Um, yeah, you still see people going after individuals, but very, very little. That tends to be more of the um, variations of the old Nigerian prince kind of scheme. And we track that quite a bit. We call the, we have grouped all of that activity 
under Silver Terrier for us. So we, they definitely continue to be active and to evolve their their methods of making money. But for the most part, there are still other smaller ransomware families out there. And that's one of the, the things, one of the re- our goals with publishing this paper and getting this data out there is um, by drawing attention to it, you'll get more organizations to improve their protections to further price out some of these other ransomware families. And that's one of the, the key ways, one of the only things we can really do to stop this outside of you know law enforcement efforts. Um, that in conjunction with people recognizing this problem and doing better and better defenses will start to price out a lot of these different attackers because they aren't going to be able to continue to evolve at the same kind of speed. Yeah, one of the things that you you track in your research that that I found interesting was just the the increase in incident response costs. That the you know what it takes for an organization to react when when this happens to them, the price of that has increased significantly as well. Yep, the price of that has increased, um, and there are any number of reasons around that demand <laughs> of the complications that can be involved in trying to go through one of these cases. And in a lot of times, the incident response um, can be just as expensive, if not more so, than the ransom was, which is another reason that organizations really need to pay attention that this is a legitimate problem and that you could potentially be out a lot of money one way or the other. So you really want to really get ahead of that scenario and try, and try and keep this from happening. Well, let's go through some of the ransomware variants that you all track in the report here. Can you can you take us through some of the the top ones and and kind of what their uh, what their mo is? You know how how they do the business they do. Sure. Um, so one of the ones that really stood out to us was Ryuk. That in particular for their uh, targeting of healthcare, which is unfortunate. But it did result in uh, CISA and the FBI and the Department of Health and Human Services jointly issuing warnings for healthcare organizations specifically about being aware and paying, um, defending against RIOC because they were focusing so, so much on healthcare, which, yeah, there's just a special place for people that that's, that's where they've decided they're <laughs> going to make money. Like you could right. literally pick any other kind of organization, but healthcare is going to be the one you're going to target. Like. Yeah, you deserve all of the, the law enforcement attention that you get. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Um, and then you already mentioned NetWalker, which is the one that we really saw uh, taking advantage of the double extortion technique. And again, that also got significant uh, atten- attention, at least this time from law enforcement, and works to disrupt that. Um, so at least those two are, I think, good highlights of the fact that there's more awareness being put on ransomware attacks and more focus on making sure people are informed, defenses are in place. Law enforcement is really focusing on the people carrying out these attacks to go after that and disrupt it. And that's um, kind of unprecedented, really, especially for a lot of the cyber things where we've treated this over the years, that it's being recognized now. And there's that the focus that it's big, big global problem is good. And I think it's very necessary. It needed to happen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is interesting that, you know, the pressure is on from law enforcement on an international level where these folks aren't just operating with impunity. You know, they, they have to be looking over their shoulders. Yes. And that is exactly, um, yeah, that's exactly what should be happening. It's one of, it's a, 
the success story of everyone working well together in the way you would always hope they do. So at least in that, it's a it's a good news story. And I expect that we'll continue with law enforcement. And, you know, once these relationships are built, these processes are built, it becomes easier and easier over time to do more cases like this. So the attackers should, you know, be aware that they're in the crosshairs. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of where we find ourselves, if you're sort of tracing a curve, you know, the growth and the the rise and, and hopefully eventually decline of ransomware, do you have any sense for where we are on that curve? Is this a problem that we're we're getting a handle on or is to continue to, to grow in seriousness? Where do you suppose we are? Um, I think we're at the threshold, honestly. I think we are poised right now to be in a good position to really take action and make um, global change with regard to being able to stop these kind of attacks and get these people, you know, arrested. But I feel that if that isn't recognized now, um, that then we're really going to be on the back foot playing catch up because these attackers continue to evolve, continue to find new ways to make larger and larger amounts of money. And they're not going to stop unless someone steps in to stop them. They have no reason to, you know, they're making tons of money without ever having to leave home. So (laughs) you have to kind of take away that, that reward. Right, right. Yeah, it leaves us, uh, some of us was sitting here with scratching our head wondering maybe, hey, this is a good line of work to get into, right? <laughs> like, I could make millions of dollars that way. Mm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. 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 It's just, if it weren't illegal, immoral, and all those other things, you know, it'd be a great business to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the report concludes uh, with some recommendations uh, for folks to better protect themselves. Why don't you take us through some of those? So some things that are very important for organizations to do is um, be aware of the way the attackers typically try to get initial access. A lot of times it's via phishing. So, you know, it's needing to have good cybersecurity protections in place. And these apply not just for ransomware, but these are really just things for attacks across the board. Um, a good backup and recovery process, and that's something really organizations need um, in a, for any number of reasons in addition to a potential uh, ransomware attack. One of the key components for that is the, the backups need to be disconnected from the normal everyday network so that they can't also be encrypted if there's a ransomware outbreak. Um, definitely have seen some cases that reported where the organizations did have backups, but unfortunately they weren't properly kept segmented. So they also ended up being encrypted. And then mm. now you're back to square one from, from that perspective. Um, right. And really for ransomware and things we're finding to be critical for any number of attacks is real effective endpoint security. That's really where the first kind of really malicious co- behavior component that happens within a network related to ransomware that is detectable. So if you can catch that there and stop it, then it's, you know, it's a non-issue. It's a non-starter. But it's when you aren't able to catch that on the endpoint where ransomware is able to be executed, then that's where um, now you're in, in a tough spot. And that's endpoint security is the same thing that would have detected um, the SolarWinds attack. That's the same thing that was an initial way of stopping all of that from happening. Uh, it's just endpoint detection. Very, very, very important for a lot of different types of attacks. 
Yeah, it's a really good point that, you know, this really is, I mean, it's a broad sort of thing. It's it's kind of a, I mean, I, I, I often like to compare it to public health, you know, washing your hands, you know, these, it helps you not get sick from a lot of different things, right? Not, not just, not just mm-hmm. catching a cold. Exactly. You know, be, and so these, there's, there's good in all of these things. I mean, even uh, you were you know, like backups, you know, well, it's great to have backups, but you got to make sure that those backups are good. You got to practice your, um, you know, your recovery processes and things like that. Um, it's that old, I guess, sports analogy of practice like you play. Yeah, that's very true. And that's definitely something that uh, I think can get deprioritized because, you know, it's not an everyday activity and things keep can keep jumping in front of it. But it really is critical. I agree that organizations, they've run the drill and they know what to do in those in those situations. You know, they know who's responsible for it. They know the timeline for it. All of those things need to be. Yeah, you need to practice. <laughs> Our thanks to Palo Alto Network's Jen Miller Osborne for joining us. The research is Unit 42's ransomware threat report. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. <laughs>